Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune and I will be your host today on Game Changers. Joshua Frank is also with me here in the studio today. Now, I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Professor Samuel Bornstein. Professor Bornstein is the managing partner of Bornstein and Song FSSI Research. Professor Bornstein, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company. Okay, I'm a 38-year professor of accounting and taxation at King University Union, New Jersey, I'm also in partnership with my partner, Jung Song CPA of Bornstein Song CPAs and Consultants. We've been actually researching among our consulting and accounting issues. We've been researching small business issues since the year 2000. And as a result of that, uh, we came across various areas of concern. Initially, it was in the year 2004, it was the mortgage crisis, which we, affect, we believe affected small business owners more harshly than others. But we saw something very interesting as we were doing our research in 2005. New concept came across in Washington, which was federal strategic sourcing. When in 2011, the state of California asked me to testify in their uh, assembly committee on accountability and review, they were going to evaluate, and here's the key, their strategic sourcing program, which had generated $160 million of savings, so-called savings. And they wanted to see whether it should be renewed. And therefore, they held a hearing, and I was invited to testify in June 8, 2011, to the committee, and made, gave testimony and came to a conclusion based upon my testimony that there was a concern of the impact on small business. And so the committee eventually, after a number of meetings, held a uh, requirement to the Department of General Services that before the committee authorizes strategic sources, and this is very important, this is really a nice uh, centerpiece of our whole conversation, before the committee authorizes strategic sourcing to be renewed in California, even though there was such $160 million of savings, 
that have to prepare a cost-benefit analysis to evaluate the impact on small business in California. It took a while. The DGS eventually came back and said, we cannot perform a cost-benefit analysis on the strategic sourcing in California. The result, as a result, the committee said, we are terminating strategic sourcing in California for lack of a cost-benefit analysis. One of the key elements of the cost-benefit analysis was the economic and social costs of job loss. That was the focal point of my presentation and my testimony in the California Assembly Committee on that June 2011 hearing. So here we have an interesting situation. Here we have a state that had used strategic sourcing and, and claimed tremendous success, yet the committee, after an evaluation and an audit of the strategic sourcing program, determined that unless we can determine the impact on small business, we will not let this ride. And by the way, I should go a little bit further. We'll be answering a number of questions as I'm going along. But Pennsylvania was also another state that had strategic sourcing and that, there was the rave of the nation. As a matter of fact, many other states followed Pennsylvania's uh, path to strategic sourcing. And guess what? In 2008, there was an audit of their strategic sourcing program by a joint committee in Pennsylvania, and they also determined that there was concern for the impact on small business. It was a horrendous finding, and as a result of that, Pennsylvania's program of strategic sourcing was eventually diminished and eventually terminated. The topic of strategic sourcing is one that I think it, it scares some people, and for others, they, they look at it and go, I don't know what this is, especially if I'm new to government contracting. So if I'm brand new to government contracting, what is strategic sourcing or FSSI? Well, that was a very good question because those people are not alone because most small business contractors really don't have a clue as to what strategic sourcing is because it only impacted a very small segment of the federal, commu federal contracting community. The office supplies people, it's only $500 million of spend. We're looking at a federal strategic sourcing, uh, or I should say strategic sourcing, is a procurement process that has been used in private industry for years and has been used with much success. IBM, Ford, major, major corporations use strategic sourcing, again, in the private sector. Now, the federal government's always looking for best practices, so they said, well, let's try to apply strategic sourcing in the public sector. And let's see if we'll get those tremendous savings, especially with the, with the budget crisis as we have it. Well, here's the statement. DOD is not IBM uh, in, in the use of strategic sourcing. Government or public sector use of strategic sourcing is a little bit different from the private sector. The question is, well, how? Because in the private sector, what is strategic sourcing eventually? It is a leveraging. It, the key precept of strategic sourcing is to leverage by volume discounts to basically select a few vendors and make a good deal on uh, lowering the cost of their procured merchandise and leaving others out in the cold. In the private sector, that works. For an example, let's say I'm IBM and I have 50 vendors that supply me with a certain product. I will select one of them that gives me the lowest price and I'll work on a volume discount basis with them. So now we have one winner and 49 losers. Is IBM concerned about the small businesses who have lost that business? No, why should they? They're interested in the profit. But here's the key. If you have federal strategic sourcing, where you have 50 vendors, 
and you select only one who supposedly gave the lowest price. But I will, I will tell you that you know it as I, as in business, lowest price one year will have an increase in prices later. But make a long story short, 50 vendors first, one vendor winning a select one vendor, the 49 now are out in the call. Now, why should the federal government be concerned about this? Because the federal government's uh, procurement process should first be to do no harm. And if small businesses are hurt, uh, and we're looking for job growth, and we say that small business is the backbone of our U.S. economy. Well, if it is the backbone of the economy, you're going to put 49 vendors in financial distress, and they're going to lose, then the employees will lose their jobs. So now we have job loss. And here we have an interesting process where in the federal government, we're interested in job creation. We need, we thrive on job creation to spur our economy. And the small business people, the ones in federal strategic sourcing in the public sector, should be approached very carefully, and I'll suggest very critically is this. Federal strategic sourcing should first evaluate its impact on small business before it moves forward. Let me go back to something you said. Mike brought up the example of, um, uh, or you did about the uh, Schedule 75, the office supplies. What happened, you know, when, uh, in terms of, uh, of all the, you know, how many companies were there selling to the government on schedule? Uh, before the Federal Strategic Sourcing Initiative, FSSI, kicked in. And do you have any metrics or data on, on what has taken place since that happened? Absolutely. Let me first approach it as the, a little bit of the history of FSSI, and I'll try to be brief. March 2010, the GSA had a special industry day where they introduced federal strategic sourcing specifically to the FSSI, the GSA Schedule 75 office supply vendors. These are the vendors who have scheduled contracts with the federal government to sell office supplies. There were 569 vendors uh, at that time. This is March of 2010. And during that industry day, if you look at the transcript, it's very clear. Everyone complained. They basically said to the federal government, you mean you're going to select a few and the others will, will there'll be winners and the others will be non-winners and we'll look, you're looking for the lowest price? We think this is going to hurt our industry. And uh, GSA said this, uh, we will note this. But the end result was this. In January, June 2010, the initial FSSI for Schedule 75 office supplies selected 15 contractors out of 569 contractors and these 15 contractors were awarded the FSI BPAs, Bank of Purchase Agreements, to sell to the federal agencies. Now, I must note, these 15 vendors, two of them were big box, I think Staples and uh, Office uh, Depot. The other 13 were really small businesses. The problem was that uh, the they will have the monopoly on all purchases of office supplies. And not only that, mandatory is another concern. Because one of the implement, uh, aspects of FSI has to be mandatory to get the maximum cost savings. Uh, the 15 vendors, uh, they, they, all these federal agencies were told that you must, you were going to mandate that you purchase office supplies only from these 15 vendors. In the process, Bornstein and Song, uh, we, we realized that this would be tragic. So from June 2010 till now, We've been conducting Bornstein and Song FSSI small business surveys based on our small business research and discovered that something very interesting, that over 30% of all government sales at, the, at one, this point has gone to those 15 vendors 
and the other 569, or now much less, it's over th only around 300 vendors now. Can you imagine how many have closed their doors, fired their employees? They share the rest of the 70%. But that's not that, it's not that clear because what's happening here is that the smaller, the smaller businesses were not able to compete and be among the winners, and they had to lower their profit to such a degree that they either had to shrink their base so small that they had to lower, fight, fire employees, etc. So uh, this, this is all great stuff. And, you know, when, when I see the term FSSI, I also see a term category management being thrown around. And, and for some reason, some people kind of use them interchangeably, but I don't think that's the right context there for those. So I was wondering if you could shed a little bit of light on what is category management and how it relates to FSSI. I think, I think one of the things that you've said is category management is basically FSSI on steroids. So if you could shed a little bit of light on category management and, and, and how it's FSSI on steroids, that would be awesome. Well, first of all, category management is, is, again, a procurement procedure that does work well in the private sector, as the strategic sourcing works well in the private sector. So I have no arguments with you that. So category management really began in England and was used effectively in the government. There are some problems with it. There are some antitrust problems, but here's the key. Category management in the, uh, in the U.S. federal, in the federal government consists of around 17 main categories or hallways and around 53 subcategories of areas, of specific areas that uh, will be uh, involved in government procurement. Office supplies is one, janitorial sanitation is another, building services, maintenance, their IT issues, that's what it is. So we're looking at 17 main categories. And so here's what the federal government did. Rather than identifying one FSSI for office supplies, one for JANSAN and MRO, one for building services and maintenance, what they did is they identified 17 main categories covering, watch this, $277 billion of annual government spending. So I thought it was very shrewd of the GSA to try to, to basically drop this drip, drip, drip of FSSIs being issued once every few years. It's going to take forever. They wanted to have it fast tracked. So they said, you know, category management may seem to be the way to do it. Mm -hmm. What we'll have is 17 main categories. Each category will be governed by a category manager who will determine who will be the winner in each category. And here we have FSSI in action, basically. It's basically FSSI all over again, deja vu all over again. Hmm. So, and why do I say it's on steroids? Because whereas FSSI impacted the Schedule 75, it's only 500 million, uh, Janssen MRO, maybe a billion. Uh, category management is going to impact $277 billion in annual spending. So here we have FSSI in a much grander scale. And I find it very peculiar that uh, category management is using the basic precepts of FSSI and trying to ignore FSSI, that word. Now, I should tell you a little bit of reading in between the lines. Why do I say that FS category management FSSI and steroids? There's a little known fact that even within the FSSI, the, I'm sorry, category management guidelines, if you look very carefully under the spend under management, there's specific mention of mandatory nature. After September 30th of 2016, the, uh, uh, the category manager, when he makes a suggestion as to which is the accepted winner within that category or subcategory, all agencies will have to mandatorily use the or sell or purchase from these vendors 
And in keeping with, and this is also key, a main OMB memorandum called M1302, which was issued in December uh, 5th of 2012, which basically introduced FSSI. So here we have an interesting situation. Mind you, I've been following category management FSSI for the past 10 years. And when I, when I see, when I read something that's read with a basic understanding of the concept, and I see here that category management is the, as if the wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, it's really FSSI in a, in a more palatable way. And so what I'm suggesting is this, category management being an extension of FSSI uh, is going to perpetuate this whole concept of negative impact on small business. And I did mention earlier this whole idea of a need for a cost-benefit analysis. So if we have this procurement policy, which will generate few winners and many non-winners, I don't want to call them losers, but non-winners, which will impact the small business community. I've been harping and I will be submitting a comment and we'll be discussing the proposed rule in a moment for a cost benefit analysis before we move further. And let me make one last point. There's an interesting statement that was made by Joseph Jordan, who was the previous OFPP administrator at the OMB. And this is right from him. Mandatory is where we're moving forward. That means that any, uh, any the winners the government agencies will be required to purchase merchandise only or service goods and services from those winners. But here's the key. According to Joseph Jordan, there will be winners and losers. And not all who want to sell to the government can sell to the government. Now, if FSSI is so detrimental, and by the way, I should mention that there was a a uh, letter written to the Gen GSA Administrator Roth from the Small Business House Small Business Committee, Chairman Shabbat and Ranking Member Velasquez, and they it was written April 5, 2016, where they asked the GSA Administrator to reassure them that category management won't be as detrimental as the FSSI has been because there has been much concern in the small business community and how many have hurt been hurt by this policy. So uh, we're category management is FSSI, although GSA doesn't want to publicize that. I, I want to just briefly look at the history, at least from a state level. And, and, and granted, our, you know, for our listeners, you know, comparing state and federal is, is, uh, is tricky at best. But earlier in, in, our, in our session today, you mentioned, I think, two states. I think you said California and Pennsylvania. And, and did you say that both of them applied strategic sourcing at a, at a state level, mm -hmm. yet both terminated their strategic sourcings? And if so, why did that happen? California went ahead, saved $160 million, and then before they renewed that contract, they wanted to evaluate it. As I mentioned, there was a hearing which I testified in June of 2011, subsequently asking for a cost-benefit analysis, wasn't submitted, terminated the program. Pennsylvania, which is the, with the poster child of strategic sourcing, all the states have looked to Pennsylvania as, look, look how successful they are. But that they failed to recognize, if they took a look more currently, is that there was an audit. By the way, I must mention, California and Pennsylvania were the only two states that had conducted an order of their strategic sourcing program. And the Pennsylvania audit basically was a little bit more detailed, and they actually had surveys of the small businesses, and it was detrimental to the point that they had to diminish it slowly and then terminate it as well. So here we have states 
who have terminated their strategic sourcing program. By the way, the need for cost-benefit analysis was clearly made in the case of California. And I'm saying, look, if California does have a hearing and it suggests that a cost-benefit analysis must be done, why not the federal government? Well, that, answer, that question was answered a number of times. The federal government admits they cannot conduct a cost-benefit analysis. And the one they do conduct is based on costs of administrative costs. Let me just add, SBA, in support of a FSSI OS3, that's Office Supplies Third Generation uh, protest, had made a statement that appeared in their April 11, 2014 memo to the OMB, which basically said, that we suggest the need for a cost-benefit analysis of the strategic sourcing program with special emphasis on economic and social costs of job loss. And that was exactly the wording which I had suggested to the SBA that they use. So, Professor, the so this this proposed rule change mm -hmm. um, that you, you, you referenced earlier, um, briefly, what is that proposed rule change and I guess the, the, the question I have to ask is, does it take a cost-benefit analysis into account that goes beyond an analyzing the administrative side? And does it actually take into account talking with small businesses and getting their feedback? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, from my standpoint, again, this is with the years of research and reading. Every, I lived, breathed, lived and breathed strategic sourcing for all these years. Uh, this proposed rule is the final death knell for small business federal contractors because and I note, note that it was issued on June 20th, 2016 and the Federal Register with a 60-day comment period ending August 19th. And here's the key. This proposed rule would amend the Federal Acquisition Regulations, the FARs, to require contracting officers to document their reasons for not using FSSI when the relevant supplies and services are available under the program. So here's, in a nutshell, they're basically mandating FSSI across all federal government spending. For the first time, this is now going to be viewed as a federal regulation. This is extremely important. And I'm, I often am wondering why did they issue this proposed rule in the Federal Register in June? Well, it's the beginning of the summer season people are not going to pay any attention to it. That's why one of the most important functions that I have in this, this podcast is this, to alert all small business federal contractors wake up once this rule is in place. It's now proposed and it's, they're waiting for comments from the federal government, from the small business community and every all other stakeholders. Once this rule is in place, all, all purchases of goods and services by the federal government will be mandated to be the FSSI so-called winners in those categories. This is laying the groundwork, by the way, for category management, using FSSI in each of the categories. And once this is in place, uh, that's it. It's already a regulation and there's no opportunity to revise this. What I'm suggesting, and this is really, it's a call to arms that all small business federal contractors to educate themselves very quickly. Uh, we have my website at bornsteinsongfssi.com with information on FSSI and, and a lot of issues that I've been doing for the past number of years. But here's the key. We must make every effort to alert the small business community that this is an issue, major issue, 
Many of them haven't been hit by the FSSI. All the office supply contractors are barely surviving. A few of the Jansan, now there's an FSSI for building maintenance operations. That's another one which I'm doing research on as well with Bornstein and Song. But I alert everyone that they must contact their congressmen, their their all the, their congressmen, especially the House Small Business Committee and Senate Small Business Committee, and let them know that before any proposed rule becomes a final rule on this FSSI mandatory application, this is amending the FAR, there should be a cost-benefit analysis to evaluate the impact on small business. It's clear. We, this, this, unfortunately, in government, there's something called the law of unintended consequences. But we can't afford unintended consequences when, when only, let's say, 15 vendors will win a contract out of the 569 that were eligible, and all those that are not that are non-winners will basically go out of business. This is irreversible. It'll destroy the industrial base. And I highly suggest everyone to educate themselves quickly, get in touch with their congressmen, and definitely try to submit a comment to this federal register and uh, make make it known. Because right now, especially during the summer months, everything is quiet. This is a very bad time to have this regulation instituted. So, Professor, you know, um, a couple of points. Uh, one, you know, in terms of taking action, and and you uh, and you did recommend that, you know, that our listeners uh, contact their the representatives, senators, etc., in either House or Senate small business committees. Um, I, you know, at the time of this uh, of this recording, I do want to make a point to our listeners that the six weeks of summer break uh, for everyone up on the Hill is starting now. Right. And so all of your representatives are actually going to be back in, in, in their home districts. And so, uh, following what, what the professor is recommending now is a perfect time, right. To, to engage and professor, uh, a couple of things in, in close up and, and first, this is a multi-part series. So for our listeners today was a, a fairly detailed overview of strategic sourcing, category management, and and the impacts. And for everyone that's never heard of this before, uh, some of you, your eyes are rolling right now, but we would rather your eyes be rolling right now versus you losing your entire revenue stream 12 months from now. Now, I'm not trying to be you know completely defeatist and over uh, expressive in, in, in my points, but this potentially could be severely a major issue. Uh, Professor, I, I want to key on a one point, and, and it, it relates to your what you were talking about with California and Pennsylvania and how they started and then they, how they terminated their strategic sourcing initiatives. I, I, I think from previous conversations, um, you had indicated, hey, there, you know, there, there's federal mandates to do cost benefit analysis mm -hmm. and the government today, apparently perceptually is focused on the administrative side of the analysis, but not companies that are losing, that are going out of business, uh, job loss, uh, zone and geographical impact companies that would be forced to support, you know, sections of the United States where today they, they, they're just not able to, um, is when you say cost benefit analysis and the government needs to do it. Cause I think if our, if our, uh, the long and the short is if our listeners 
do go to the federal register and they provide comments. I assume they're going to provide comments saying, hey, you really need to do a cost benefit analysis that that Professor Bornstein absolutely made the case. It needs to take place. What specifically is part of that financial, that cost benefit analysis, what should they be recommending be a part of that? What spe- can you give us specifics? There is something called the Regulatory Flexibility Act of 1980. It requires federal agencies to assess the impact of proposed and final regulations on small businesses. And it basically calls for, here's the wording, a cost-benefit analysis. So here's what's happening. By issuing this proposed rule, it all of a sudden puts them subject to the Regulatory Flexibility Act of 1980, which requires a cost-benefit analysis. So my suggestion is, and this could be included in all the comments issued on this Federal Register, and this is public knowledge, it has to be, is that you should emphasize by that the RFA, the Regulatory Flexibility Act, may be in play at this time, which will force a cost-benefit analysis because the RFA clearly recognized the need to assess the impact of these regulations on small businesses. And based on my Bornstein and Song FSI research surveys, uh, again, as I mentioned, we were trying to assess the impact on small business on a sur- through a survey, which I believe is the best way to do this, and to estimate job loss. Uh, you, once we finalize these, uh, our survey results, it will be shocking because each job that's lost has an impact not only for the federal government and for the U.S. economy, but the states as well because they have to bear the burdens of the of the unemployment costs and all the social safety net costs. So, in a, in a nutshell, the flexibility regulatory flexibility act may be in, may be involved here. And if it is, and I believe it is, because it will, does have an economic uh, impact on small business, there should be a recognized cost benefit analysis. And then here's what I suggest: let them do a cost benefit analysis. Let the chips fall where they may. But let's make sure that one of the costs is the economic and social cost of job loss, as the SBA recognized and suggested in their April 11, 2014 letter to the GAO. I want to make a couple of points for our listeners. You know, strategic sourcing is not new. Uh, GSA schedules, they are a form of strategic sourcing. And, and, And as you indicated, other nations, other, you know, and many corporations use strategic sourcing and category management to to control costs. But we really need to, we do need to congratulate GSA. We need to congratulate the Department of Veterans Affairs and, and all the others in government that are making what is really a hard decision to go in this direction. Um, you know, it, yes, it's been proven to provide value. But as you said, Professor, there is a difference between private and public sectors. Um, you know, every successful organization that's used strategic sourcing uh, has did has done so by finding a middle ground. They conducted extensive analysis with extensive cost benefit reviews. So, you know, from what I'm hearing from you today, Professor, it's strategic sourcing is not new. Um, and yes, the rollout that's taking place today is probably here to stay. But I'm hearing concern that the government is moving either too fast or it's not finding the middle ground where both government in industry have the right balance. So on, you know, with that final note, 
Mike, let me throw it back over to you and we can close up. Yeah, no, no, really, really good points from everybody. I actually just have one more question for you, Professor, and this is kind of a clarifying question because, again, I, um, as long as I've been in the government, I've also done a lot of work in the commercial space, and Josh and I connected again a couple years ago, and I'd, I'd been doing a lot of commercial work, and so I kind of look at government in terms from a, a different lens than a lot of people. I look at it from a commercial guy's perspective a lot of times. And, and I listen from that same lens as well. And one of the things I hear when FSSI and category management, either of those terms come up, especially with one of our, our clients or if I'm at a conference, wherever it may be, people will roll their eyes and, and they say, that doesn't apply to me because I am an IT guy. I am in construction. I am in, they start throwing out different things and say, you know, that's only office supplies. So can, can you... Can you help us clarify or, or bust this myth here that around who it actually impacts? Because a lot of people think it only impacts a couple of industries. Uh, Mike, that is the problem because the only ones who have suffered and have been bloodied by this are the Schedule 75ers. And so, therefore, unless you're selling office supplies to the federal agencies, you haven't been hurt. As a matter of fact, if you go to my website at, at Bornstein, BornsteinSongFSSI.com, there's a link there to what's called testimonials. There's a red check mark. Click on that link and you'll see 100 plus letters from small business, small businesses. Basically, it's the office supply vendors who tell the story on how FSSI has impacted them. They were doing good business with the federal government. They were competitive, but somehow FSSI destroyed them. Now. As far as saying, well, I don't have to worry, I'm not selling office supplies. Are you one of the $277 billion of government spend? I will bet you to, that applies to two-thirds of all government contracts. I think that person who is not aware of the, what has happened to, FS, to FSSI for the Schedule 75 ers will be one of those $277 billion. This is exactly my concern. This has gone under the radar. This proposed rule is being issued during the summer session when nobody is really aware. And here's the problem. Most small businesses are just trying to stay afloat. They have no time to read and research on FSSI what it is. So we have a call to arms. This is extremely critical. Uh, I have to be the one to cry wolf because unless people are aware of what's going to happen, they haven't been impacted yes, yet. But when it's, when it's part of the regulations and, and when it becomes mandatory, that uh, when the category manager uh, selects a winner, usually be based upon the lowest price, which is not necessarily the best way to do it. And surely it restricts competition because it's uh, unfortunately many of the larger businesses will be the winners and the smaller ones will lose. It's only then that the people who are saying they don't know much about FSSI is it'll be too late. The die has been cast. So what I'm suggesting yeah. is read about it and try to push uh, for some recognition of what this is all about before August 19th. Because if we don't comment before August 19th, I believe they'll say then we have no skin in the game. Yeah, that, that'll be it. So, you know, so, so what I'm hearing is if you're a government contractor, I, I don't care what you sell. I don't care what industry you're in. If you're a government contractor, educate yourself on FSSI and category management whether it's going to impact you or not, educate yourself on it just to make sure. Because this this could be a game changer for your business 
and it could blindside you and the the water faucet of money could just shut off uh, very, very quickly. So it, it's worth taking a little bit of time to educate yourself on this. So if you're listening and you're in the construction space or IT, I don't care if you sell to the government and you're listening to the podcast today, take some time, Google it, do a little bit of research. We're going to have the professor's website up on, uh, on the game changers website. So you'll be able to take a look at that there. And Josh, I think you have, you have another question here before we wrap up. No, I just have one statement, Mike, um, and, and let me, I, I know you're going to thank the professor, but professor, I want to personally thank you for coming on today. Um, I, I think this is one of the most critical, important small business podcasts we're going to do probably through the end of the year. Um, for our listeners, we're going to, by the time this podcast has launched, right next to where you clicked to play on um, on the Game Changers website, there is going to be a link to a document that is going to give you the wording that you need to respond to the federal register. Okay. For this proposed change. So um, rather than having you try to, you know, remember what you heard in this podcast, we're going to create a template for you and you can, you know, modify it, copy it, throw it in, make your comment and you're done. So make sure to look for that after you listen to the podcast. No, that's good stuff. And, and, and really thank you, professor. I really appreciate all the wisdom, uh, today. You know, you brought a lot of history in here, explained a lot of stuff on here. We, we look forward to having you back on at some time in the future to, to just educate us more on this topic. Mike, uh, Mike, and just one last point, uh, June, uh, the June 5th, 2016 letter from the house small business committee to the GSA administrator basically sums it up. They expressed concern for the impact on small business and the negative impact that has been had recently, and they're looking to GSA to explain how it will be improved. And so, therefore, that alone gives an indication that even the House Small Business Committee is expressing concern. Mm, yeah, no, no it's, it's big stuff. So, so thank you again. We really appreciate you coming on. And before I thank our listeners, I want, I want to leave everybody with one final thought here. If you're a government contractor you shouldn't be just focused on the government. We, we definitely recommend you should be growing that, that commercial side of your business. So regardless of how this comes down, you need to be growing both sides of the business. It benefits everybody, it benefits your company. Um, but if, if you're a smart entrepreneur, you always know there's a chance that any rug can be pulled out from under you. Any client can be shut off. And there's no reason to just focus your business 100% on the government. Make sure you're, you're creating opportunities all over your business. If you are focused 100% on the government right now, whether you contact us or somebody else, get some help. Make sure you're, you're balancing out yourself and focusing on other opportunities. Because I guarantee you, I don't care what you sell, whether it's, it's IT infrastructure, whether it's construction, or whether it's Avon supplies. I, I don't care what it is, how simple it is. There's opportunities for you in the commercial space, and somebody can help you break into that and expand your business. So with that, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we will have links to um, our guest 
websites, their bios. And uh, as Josh said, we're actually going to have a document on this one uh, that you can respond to the Federal Register on that. Last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers. Game Changers.